Isaiah 49, you can stand for the reading of God's Word. And I, I like to invite people on Wednesday evenings to scoot forward if they can. I like everyone to sit in the front half of the room, um, if possible. That way we can be a community and a family. I come down off the platform most weeks so that we can feel like we're just uh, together instead of it feeling like I'm up on the platform preaching a full-blown sermon. And so um, I like the family feel. And so uh, consider, consider that if you would. Look with me at verse 14 of Isaiah 49. And we're going to read down through verse 16. All right? 49, 14 through 16. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. You ever felt like you've just been forgotten? You ever felt like you've just been forsaken? You know what it means to be forsaken? It's like someone just, you're in the middle of talking to them, you're bearing your soul to them, and they just get up and they give you the back and just walk away. That's what it's like to be forsaken. That's rough. And Zion is Jerusalem, so this is talking about the Israelites. They're saying the Lord has completely forgotten us. They have forsa- He has forsaken us. Look at 15. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee. Upon the palm of my hands, thy walls are continually before me. title of the Bible study for both this week and next week is this, Engraved in the Hand of God. Engraved in the Hand of God. Almost like God has His name written on your hand. What a thought, right? Let's pray together. Lord, help us tonight to understand the Bible. This is a passage that was challenging for me to get my mind wrapped around, and I spent several weeks, Lord, you know, preparing this, and Lord, there's some really good things in here, really good truths, and so Lord, help us to be engaged, help me to do my best to be engaging, but Lord, um, speak through me, may it be your words, may I just be your mouthpiece, and Lord, if my mouth is anointed, but the uh, ears of the listeners are not anointed because they're just checking out, then It doesn't really matter. So, Lord, anoint both the mouth and the ears. And, Lord, help everyone to gather from the Word of God what each of us need. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Engraved in the hand of God. Isaiah 49 is one of four chapters in Isaiah that emphasize Jesus as the suffering servant. We know that Jesus suffered as a servant for our sins. Warren Wearsby, he's a commentator that I refer to, um, he said this, he said, The heart of Isaiah 40 through 66 is chapters 49 through 57, in which Isaiah exalts the Messiah as God's suffering servant, and the heart of chapters 49 through 57 is chapters 52, verse 13, through 53, Verse 12, and the description of the Savior's substitutionary death of the sins of the world. So this is the uh, fourth of the uh, servant songs in Isaiah. The others are chapter 42, 1 through 7, 
chapter 49, where we're going to be tonight, verses 1 through 6. So when we get to 49, 1 through 6 in a moment, we're going to see Jesus as the suffering servant uh, in chapter 50, uh, verses 1 through 11. So uh, at the heart of the New Testament section of Isaiah's book is our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sin. No wonder Isaiah has been called the evangelical prophet. So Isaiah predicted that the Israelites would complain. Is that an easy uh, prediction to make, that a group of people is going to complain? I, that's a pretty easy prediction to make, right? How many of you, if I said, I said, uh, I just picked your name out of the room, okay? I said, such and such uh, is going to complain at least once in the next seven days. How many think that probably, if I said your name, that would be a pretty accurate uh, prophecy, right? We all complain, don't we? It's a sin to complain, we really shouldn't do that. But we do it. We do it. Someone says, oh, I don't ever sin. Uh, well, first you're lying, because yes, you do. And, and then if you just count how many times you complain in a day, all of those complaints are a sin. And if you count up all the times you complain in your heart, but don't actually say it out loud with your mouth, it probably triples, doesn't it? Because there's a lot of things we think that we don't say. At least there's a lot of things that we think that we shouldn't say. Some people, there's no filter. It just comes pouring right out, doesn't it? And that's not always healthy. But uh, he, he, he predicts that they're going to complain that God has forgotten them and, that, um, and, uh, and forgotten about them. Just completely forgotten about them. And God assured his people that he had engraved them in his hand and that he would never forget them. Now, I want to be clear, all right? Isaiah 49 14 through 16 is not talking about Gentiles. It's talking about the Jews. So I could very easily get up and talk about how you are written on the hand of God because the Bible says in verse 16 that you're engraved in His hand. Unless you're a Jew, there's no evidence in the Bible that your name is engraved on God's hand. All right? I'm just trying to be honest with you. I'm not trying to twist Scripture. I'm trying to lay it out exactly as it's written. But can I tell you that even though your name may not be engraved on his hand, there's something even greater in the hand of God for you. You know what that is? That's the nail prints that he suffered on the cross. He did that for me, and he did that for you. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. He took the nails in his hands, and you know what? Those nail prints are still in his hands. They're not gone. And they're not scars either. They're wounds. They're open wounds. You remember when he came back and saw Thomas? He said, run your fingers down into the prints. He said, place your hand into the hole in my side where the spear was made. And Jesus was in his glorified body when he said that. And so God may not look down and see your name on his hand, although if you're Jew, he may. But I can tell you what he does look down, Jesus looks down, and he sees the prints that were put there because of the price of my sin and your sin. 
Any time you want to stop and think, the Lord has forgotten about me, the Lord has even forsaken me, I'm in a dark, dark, deep depression, I'm in a great struggle, I'm going through a hardship in my life, and I'm going through this all alone, and no one is here. And by the way, if you've been at that point sometime in your life, would you be honest enough to raise your hand right now? My hand's up. Can I just remind you that when the Lord looks down at His own hands, He sees the nail prints that were put there to redeem your soul from sin. You see, what's engraved in the hands of Jesus are the wounds that He suffered because of my sin and your sin. So as we look at Isaiah 49, and we look at the, tonight, we're going to try to get through the first 13 verses Next week, we'll try to cover the rest of the chapter. Uh, the book, the chapter here is divided into two sections, all right? The first section, 1 through 13, discusses the work of Jesus as he suffered for his people. It also discusses how he opened the door to the Gentiles to be saved and to be restored, all right? Section number 2 is verses 14 through 26, and that discusses Israel's insecurity under the punishing hand of God. And you know what? When we're being punished by God, sometimes we think that God's just forsaken us and forgotten us. God's not forsaken and forgotten Israel. They, uh, they were just being punished here, as is the case through much of their history. We'll worry about the second section next week. Let's jump into the first section right now. All right. If you have a bulletin there on the back, you have a fill-in-the-blank outline. Let's fill in those blanks. Number one, notice the duty of God's servant, the duty of God's servant. Chapter 49, verse 1 through 13, we see the duty laid out for Jesus. Letter A, notice his task, his task. What was the duty of Jesus? Well, notice it was to first reprove, to reprove or rebuke Israel. Reprove or rebuke Israel. Look at chapter 49 and look at verse number 1. Verse number 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made me mention of my, hath he made mention of my name, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me. So we're going to try to do our best to unpack these two verses here. Uh, but notice that it says in verse 1, he's calling out to the idols, all right? And that means he's calling out to the Gentiles from beyond the borders of Egypt, or rather of Israel. In fact, we find this phrase throughout Isaiah, and any time you, uh, you see Isaiah calling out to the isles, this is a cry to the Gentiles, to the people beyond Israel's border. Notice it says, ye people from far, ye people from far. The Lord did not just send Jesus into this earth so that the Jews could be redeemed. He sent Jesus into this earth so that Jew and Gentile could be redeemed. And understand that when this was written way, way, way back thousands of years ago, even well over 700 years before Jesus would be born, uh, the Jews did not even consider the Gentiles as on the same level as human beings. The thought that a Gentile could have 
faith and could be redeemed was just so far beyond anything they comprehended. They just didn't even consider it to be a reality. And so when uh, Isaiah begins to write and preach and talk about how that the Gentiles would be reached, boy, this did not necessarily settle well with the people. We see here that Jesus came to reprove Israel. Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. If you will, we find Jesus and his ministry and how that his tongue became a sword. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 34. Everybody there? Matthew chapter 10. Smile if you're awake. All right. Some of you are uh, sleeping with your eyes open then because some of you didn't smile. All right. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 34. Brother Manny, could you read that verse for us? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. People think, oh, well, Jesus, I mean, he's just this like, uh, you know, effeminate looking guy and he's just soft and, and he just loved everybody. Um, I just got through listening through the book of Matthew, uh, the audio um, recording of Matthew. And uh, there are a number of times where I'm listening to Matthew and I thought, Jesus is just savage. I mean, these, these Pharisees would come at him and he would just own them. Like, he'd finish and it was like, mic drop, walk off the stage and they're just left there with nothing to say. All right, Jesus did not necessarily come to bring peace uh, he did come to bring peace, but what we find is that he, and oftentimes he brings a sword. And Matthew 10 goes on and talks about how that brother is divided against brother, a, a daughter against a mother, um, uh, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, all right? That there are these divisions that take place. How about parts of the world when someone gets saved and the family disowns them because they got saved and baptized and they actually have a funeral? And they say, you're dead to me. I'd say that Jesus brought, brought a sword to that family, wouldn't you? There was some dividing. How about with the religious sect in Jesus' day, when he'd walk around and preach, and the religious sect, the people who were the established religious leaders of that country, became so angry with Jesus, they actually had him arrested and killed. Turn over to Matthew chapter 27. Actually, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Turn to Matthew chapter 23 first. While you're turning there, back in Isaiah 49, not only does it say that he would be like a sharp sword, it says that he would be like a polished shaft in the quiver that had been hid. So think about this. For 4,000 years, right, up until Jesus was born, four to 6,000 years of human history, recorded biblical human history, Jesus has been like an arrow, a straight arrow in the quiver of God, and he would take that out and he would fire him out of heaven into the world. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of woman, made under the law. So God took out that, 
polished shaft or that arrow and he shot it out of his quiver, shot Jesus down to earth and his task was to come down and to reprove the Israelites. Listen, when we talk about the Jews, uh, as, as long as, as, at least as it is in reference to scripture, we're talking about the religious leaders of that day. We're talking about the people who led the country, uh, with worship in the temple and in the synagogues. We're talking about the structured religious system. Jesus came in and he immediately butted heads with these people. In fact, Jesus would go home to his own city of Nazareth and he would go into the synagogue on the seventh day. He'd pull out the scroll Isaiah. He would read from the scroll Isaiah. They would take him outside because he claimed to be God and they would try to throw him off the cliff. And it didn't happen. Jesus came to reprove Israel. Look, look at the, the, the second part of his task. We see he came to be rejected by Israel. Rejected by Israel. You got Matthew 23? Hold your place there. Go back to Isaiah 49. All right? Put a marker in Matthew 23. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Turn back over to Isaiah 49 and look at verse number 3. We're going to read 3, 4, and 7. Look here. This is a prophecy about Jesus. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Jesus was to be a new version of Israel, a new testament to Israel. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. Jesus gets down to the end of his work. All right, let me make sense of verse 3 and 4. Jesus gets down to the end of his three and a half years of ministry. Look at all the people he healed. Look at all the lame people he gave their legs to. All the blind people they could see. All the deaf people they could hear. All of the people he had touched. The, dead, uh, the deaf people they could hear. The dead people he raised again. He gets down to the end of his ministry. He makes his triumphant entry into uh, Jerusalem on the back of, a, of, of an ass or a colt. He gets into Jerusalem. What happens? He gets arrested. And then he's put on a cross to die. He was not embraced as the Messiah. He was rejected as the Messiah. He got down to the end and he said, All my work has been for naught. All my labor has been for nothing. My own people have rejected me. Look down at verse 7. Isaiah 49, look down at verse 7. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and His Holy One, to whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Other nations of the world would choose Jesus, but his own people would reject him. Go back to Matthew 23 and look with me at verse 37. Matthew 23 and verse 37, we see that Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry uh, there, and um, he's about to be arrested and killed. We're just within a few short days here in Matthew 23 of that taking place. He's just rebuked and reprimanded the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and their shallow religion, and he leaves the city. He's probably on an elevated plane outside the town, and we get to Matthew 23 and verse number 37. Uh, Brother Taylor, could you read that verse for us?
He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. You know, it wasn't just Jesus that uh, was killed in Jerusalem. Other prophets who had preached truth had been arrested by religious zealots, religious leaders, and had been killed. And uh, they had a history as a city, Zion, Jerusalem, of rejecting. And here, God sent His Son. Jesus told a parable when He walked the earth. Uh, He said, uh, a, a rich man had a vineyard, and he leased it out to some husbandmen. And he sent his servants to check in on those whom he had leased this vineyard to. And they captured each of the servants, and they killed these servants. At last he said, well, I'll send my son, surely they'll receive him. And when the husbandmen saw, the keepers of the vineyard saw, that it was the owner's son, they thought, well, if we kill him, then we can inherit the vineyard. And so they took the son of the vineyard owner, and they killed him too. And he's telling this to the Pharisees. And you know what he's saying to them? I sent my prophets to you, and you killed them. And now here I am, the Son of God, and now you're going to kill me too. Look at me in Matthew 27. Matthew 27 and verse number 15. To understand why the, the, the light of Jesus reaches out to the Gentiles, we see that first Jesus came to the Jews and was rejected by the Jews. Now, not all of them, but by the Jewish sect, the Jewish organized religion, and those who led religious worship in the country, they rejected Jesus to the place where, as a nation, they would crucify Jesus. Look at verse 15. Here we see how how far they went to reject the suffering servant. Verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will I, who will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down at the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day, in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Here they are rejecting their their Messiah. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas! Pilate said unto them, What shall I then do with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say to him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just man, see ye to it. And we see that Jesus came to be their Messiah and they rejected their servant and he became their suffering servant. What was his task? 
It was to reprove Israel. His tongue was like a sword. He was a a polished shaft, an arrow, shot out of heaven to earth into Israel to make an impact and, uh, and to reprove Israel, but rather he was rejected by Israel. So what was his task? Well, we see, uh, thirdly, his task was to reach the Gentiles, reprove Israel, be rejected by Israel, and reach the Gentiles. Go back to Isaiah 49, and we'll see verses 5 and 6. Uh, this prophecy of Jesus, or the Messiah, And now saith the Lord that formed thee from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered... Uh, so he came to gather them. They would not be gathered. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered thee as a hen, uh, a, a, a hen her, her, her chickens. And, and so they would not be gathered. Yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be made servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee... Notice here, God in heaven is telling Jesus, I will also give thee a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. And so Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry reproving Israel, being rejected by Israel. After he's nailed to the cross, he raises from the dead three days later. And I'll turn over to Acts chapter 1 and look with me at verse number 8. Jesus is getting ready to ascend up to heaven and be done with his ministry. And God, or Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I've got a task for you and it is not just to go to the Jews Now it's time for you to take the truth of my life to the Gentiles. It's time to go past the Jews and go to the Gentiles. Look at Acts chapter 1 and look at verse number 8. Brother Isaac, can you read that for us? Acts 1 verse 8. In the uttermost part of the earth. Good. So he says to his disciples, here's how I see this going down. All right. Maybe I'm wrong. The theater of my mind, I see Jesus has his disciples on the outskirts of town. Right. And outskirts of Jerusalem. And he's getting ready to ascend. And so they're on an elevated plane. And they've got, he's got his disciples around him. And, and he says, he says, listen, I'm getting ready to go to heaven and be with my father. Before I go, I want to give you some instruction. He said, you see Jerusalem over there? I want you to go be witnesses of everything you've experienced. I want you to go in Jerusalem. And all of his Jewish racist disciples go, got it. He says, all right, then I want you to go to Judea, which is the state or province in which Jerusalem resided. And they go, got it. And then he says, hey, in the north of here is the province of Samaria where there are half Jews and half Gentiles. He says, after you are done with Jerusalem and Judea, I want you to go Samaria. And I can see them reach up and pitch their nose at those half-breeds and go, all right, we'll do it. He says, and then I want you to go to the uttermost part of the Gentile world. And they went, what? Yeah, 
Yeah, I want you not only to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Okay, they've rejected the message. I then want you to go to the Gentiles. I want you to go to the uttermost. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, while I will say in my study of Isaiah 49, I don't see Paul directly prophesied in Isaiah 49. I do see the Apostle Paul indirectly prophesied because Paul would be the apostle to the Gentiles. He would be the one that would take the gospel message and get it out to the Gentile world. In fact, if you're a Gentile here and you're saved, you probably could, if you knew had the, had the wherewithal to do so, you probably could trace your salvation roots all the way back to the apostle Paul. And Peter opened the door to the Gentiles, but Paul, uh, uh, Peter pushed the door open, Paul went running through it, and he proclaimed the gospel message to the Gentile world. Before, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to get into heaven, you had to convert to Judaism and behave like a Jew. Now, with Jesus' death on the cross and the proclamation of salvation, you could remain a Gentile in culture and still be saved. Look at Ephesians 3, and let's read from verse 1 down through verse 9. Brother Tom, could you read those verses for us? I don't know that we completely emotionally grasp the value of this passage and how it ties back into Isaiah 49. But do you understand that for thousands of years, most Gentiles lived in utter darkness. They, they, they were born, they lived in paganism or humanism, they died, and then they went to hell. And unless they were willing to overhaul their faith and become a believer in a Messiah to come and convert to Judaism, they had no shot at salvation. And then lo and behold comes Jesus, and he dies on the cross, not only for the Jew, Jews in their sin, he dies on the cross for the Gentiles in their sin too. And upon his ascension to heaven, he tells the disciples, go give the gospel message to the Gentile world also. And Paul takes that idea and he runs with it and he runs into such darkness where Satan had a grip 
on cultures for thousands of years. And he runs into this darkness and he shines the light of the gospel. And you know what happens when you turn a bright light on into someone whose eyes are acclimated to the dark. They don't like that very much. And some people enjoy what they see afterwards. But the initial shock isn't so much fun. And you know what happened to Paul? He got beaten up. He got thrown into ocean, uh, ocean waters or seas. He, he, got, uh, he got beaten to the point of where he probably died and God sent him back. And uh, listen, he suffered greatly uh, so that the Gentiles could have the gospel truth and could have churches and could have uh, truth. And here we are thousands of years later uh, sitting here as Gentile believers with a Bible translated into our language, understanding the power of the gospel of salvation because somebody was willing to say, I'm going to take the light provided to the Gentiles and actually get it out there to them. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord because our Gentile ancestors years ago, they did not have access to the light quite like we have it today. Praise God that Jesus was the polished shaft that was shot down from heaven into the earth and he, re, he reproved Israel. He was rejected by Israel, but he came to reach out to the Gentile world so that you and I could know salvation and be saved. We see letter A, the suffering servant. We see his duty, his task. Letter B, we'll look at quickly his triumph, his triumph. So let me give you three triumphs here uh, of the suffering servant I see from verse 8 down through verse number 13. Go back to Isaiah 49 and look with me, if you would, at verse number 8. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. And I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause it, uh, to cause to inherit the desolate heritage. Notice first, his work reinforced. His work reinforced. And so, after Jesus came, he reproved, he was rejected, he reached out to Gentiles, he ascends to heaven. God the Father takes the work of Jesus on earth and he preserves it and he advances it as a new covenant, a new testament to his people to revive a, a, a people group where the gospel had been rejected. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and look with me at verse number 1. 2 Corinthians 6. Everybody understanding the passage this evening? Is it making sense? All right, 2 Corinthians 6, verse number 1 and 2. Brother Lexton, are you able to read those verses for us? 2 Corinthians 6. And if anyone here is not comfortable reading, don't hesitate to say, just pass. That's fine. Don't feel like you got to. 2 Corinthians 6, I call it Brother Lex and flat-footed here a little bit. Verse 1 and 2. Uh, 
Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Um, back in verse 8 of Isaiah 49, it says, Thus saith the Lord, in acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. Paul said to the church of Corinth, he says, Now is the accepted time. God preserved the work of Jesus on the cross to the Gentile people, and that work through the work uh, that work through the efforts of people like Paul and even the beginnings by Peter and many other preachers that have come since that work has been preserved that covenant has been broadcasted and made known his work reinforced notice next the weary revived the weary revived go back to Isaiah 49 and look with me at verse number 9 That thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth. To them, now think about this in terms of the Gentiles who sat in the prison of, of sin and the darkness of sin. Alright? That thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways. And the pastors shall see, uh, shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst. Neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. Look down with me at verse number 13. Look down at verse 13. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his Afflicted, have mercy upon his afflicted. And so 9, 10, and 13, what we see is that those who had lived in darkness, those that had been afflicted, those who had been in sin's shackles, those that had been hungry, those who were weary, God revived. God worked anew. Now, just a very, very quick uh, overarching bird's eye view history lesson of the Bible. The Bible really can be broken up into Three different sections, all right? Now, again, I'm being macro here, all right? I'm, I'm dividing broadly, all right? The first 2,000 years or so of recorded history in the Bible, God did not work through any specific people group. God worked through the nations. From Adam to Noah, God worked through the nations. There was not Jew and Gentile. There was just humanity. And then from Abraham up until um, uh, the ascension of Jesus, God worked through the Jews, all right? And then from the ascension of Jesus until the rapture, God is working through the church, the church, all right? So um, uh, you had a time where God worked through all humanity, and now you have a time where God works through all saved, Jew and Gentile alike in humanity, but you had that time span from Abraham to Jesus where he focused primarily on the Jews, and while the Gentiles could come and could be saved, and many did come and were saved. By and large, the Gentiles, they lived in affliction and darkness and in sin shackles. They were weary. And then you get to the church era, and those who were weary are now revived. Take your Bibles to Isaiah 61. You're in chapter 49. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 61. Look at verse number 1. The Spirit, well, I'm going to have someone here read this. Brother Jason, go ahead. One down through three. 
good. Verse 3 as well. Or verse 2 and 3. Good. So these are the same verses that I mentioned a moment ago that Jesus read in the synagogue in, in Nazareth. That's found in Luke chapter 4. And we see this passage fully realized, though, not just with the Jews, but with the Gentiles. Let's read 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, remembering that the church of Corinth was a Gentile church. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11. All right, Brother Yankowski, when you get there, you can just start reading. 1 Corinthians 6. 9 through 11. So he says here to the Gentile people, you all used to be thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. He said you used to be fornicators, idolaters, adulterous, effeminate, uh, abusers of yourselves with mankind. That's a pretty hard-hitting list. These were the sins of the Gentile people for thousands of years. And he says, but now... I have turned on the light into the darkness. I have opened the prison doors and set you free. I have revived the weary. Why? Because you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. There's no reason to go back and live that way anymore. You know, Jesus was rejected. Jesus was crucified. But in that rejection and in that, through that crucifixion, His light shone bright and now the Gentile world has had a chance to have their weary souls revived. Quickly, lastly here, notice his ways repaired. His ways repaired. Go back to Isaiah 49 and look at verse 11 and 12. And we'll be quick on this one here. In fact, we're going to read 11 and 12. And then this will be our jumping back on point next week uh, when we gather. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says, And I will make all my mountains away and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far and low, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. And that's a reference back to the southern region of Egypt. He says, I'm going to make all of the ways wide open uh, back to Jerusalem so that people can come back and worship the Lord uh, in Jerusalem. And so we'll look at the two uh, meanings of that word highway uh, next week, and then we'll jump into the second half of the chapter as that ch- part of the chapter is more Jewish in nature. But still a lot there for us to uncover and enjoy. Amen?
I hope that gives you a better understanding of the first half of Isaiah 49. And um, I hope that you'll go and grow with God's Word. And thank God for that light that's shown into the Gentile world, because through that now we can know Jesus. If you're here tonight and you've never given your heart to Jesus, let me just encourage you to call on the name of the Lord and uh, believe in Him alone for salvation, because Jesus is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. You don't get into heaven through a church. You don't get into heaven through good behavior. You get into heaven through Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Let's stand together and we'll pray. If you have questions about that or would like to talk about that, I'll be here after the service and I'd be happy to help you find your way into the family of God.